Children's and youth pastor here at White Rock Community Church. And I thank you. Thank you. And I have a wife. Her name is Christy. There she is in the back. I see her. She's way back there. I have one son named Jackson who's almost two years old. And you know what? We have a little baby girl on the way. And I, when I say on the way, I mean she could be here like any day right now. She is due, the due date is July 13th, and she could be here any moment, so watch out, everyone. Make sure we got 911 on the phone. But anyway, if you have not met me, I would love to meet you. And you know what? If you see me after the service, please feel free to hunt me down, because I want to meet you. So please do not hesitate to do that. Please do not. So here this morning, I just want to say how much and how big of an honor it is to be here with the big kids this morning. <laughs> if you don't know, I'm usually the big kid downstairs making all the ruckus, all the noise with the other kiddos down there, with some of your kiddos here. And you know what? It's an absolute blast. I love it. And it is a privilege to be able to minister alongside these kids here at White Rock Community Church. And let me tell you something, that we have some of the most awesome kids here at WRCC. They are awesome, and we have awesome leaders down there, and it is an awesome privilege to be able to minister alongside them. And you know what? I want to give a great big shout out to any parents here right now who have kiddos here at WRCC, a great big thank you. Thank you for making such awesome kiddos. Show me how it's done, but thank you. Thank you very much. And it is a blast to be with them. And you know what? One other interesting thing that you might not know about me is that I also was once a kid. I was also once a kid. And you know what? Probably not that far, or probably not that long ago compared to some of you in this room. But believe it or not, I was also once a kid. And you know what? One of my favorite pastimes as a kid and passions as a kid was skateboarding. If you don't know what skateboarding is, you ride something that looks like this. And it's a piece of wood practically with some wheels on it. But you know what? I loved it. It was my passion. I ate, slept, breathed skateboarding. Any moment I had, I was reading through the magazines. Well, maybe just looking at the pictures, but whatever. I was reading through the magazines. I was watching the skateboarding videos. I was learning new tricks. I was just hanging out with my buddies, ripping up the streets. Any moment I had, it was my passion. It was my pastime. I absolutely loved it. And you know what? The small prairie town that I grew up in had one problem. It did not have very much concrete. And you know what? If you don't know, concrete is an essential element for skateboarding. So you know what? Any, anytime my family and I were out on a trip or whatever else, any city, town, hamlet that we drove through, I was scouting out any skateboard parks that I could potentially go back to and ride my skateboard at. And you know what? I had the privilege sometimes to even go back and visit these skateboard parks. And let me tell you how excited I was. I couldn't get out of our car fast enough. I could not, I could not walk fast enough. I didn't want to look too hasty running up to the skateboard park. But inside, every bit of me wanted to run up to that skateboard park 
park, and I would come upon this concrete masterpiece. It was beautiful. And you know what? It was just waiting for me to rip it up. It was waiting for me to rip it up. And I loved it. I was so excited. Every moment I had at that park was just joy and excitement. But you know what? This this excitement and this joy was always abruptly interrupted by a BMXer. If you don't know what a BMXer is, it is someone who rides a contraption that looks much like this one here. And you know what? You know why? Every time I'd see a BMXer, my insides would cry out in agony and I'd put my fists up in the air towards God and I would just ask him to make all BMXers just disappear. Because you know what? They would come and they would come into the skateboard park and they would think they just own the place. They would come, they would cut you off, they would lip you off even. You know what, sometimes I've even seen them ride by and kick somebody or punch somebody. And I've even seen it escalate to the point that there would be fist fights, there'd be hair and blood flying just over somebody wanting to take the whole skateboard park to themselves. You know what, I don't really like BMXers. They would ruin my day. And you know what? I, 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 there's this, there was this thick fog of animosity between skateboarders and BMXers. And there's no official rule book, rule book that I know of that makes that clear. It just somehow is there. You know what? There is, there's this unwritten line of division between BMXers and skateboarders. I don't know where it came from, but it is there. You know what? I probably can recognize that not many of you in this room skateboard or BMX. Is that fair to say? But maybe some of you did. You once did. Maybe you do right now. If you do and you once did, please make sure to find me afterwards. I'd love to chat more about that. But I'm sure that most of you probably aren't currently or never did skateboard or BMX. But one thing that I can maybe say that you have done or experienced is maybe all of you have experienced or maybe currently experiencing divisions. Divisions. You know what? Even in our world today and even in the past in history in our world, one of the things that really stands out to me that has brought division is communism. You know what? We look at Germany and you look at even currently we see Korea, we see Vietnam. Communism has split entire countries. It's brought divisions between entire countries, which blows my mind. And even when we look at our our own country of Canada, we see that even our, there's been this long time debate, if you don't know, between Quebec and the Francophone speaking people there and the rest of Canada. There's divisions there. It's growing more and more. There's an animosity there. And you know what? I think that even right here in our city of, our little city of White Rock and South Surrey, I'll include South Surrey in there. You know what? I think there's divisions there between South Surrey, White Rock, and North Surrey. You know what? I haven't lived here for very long. I've lived in White Rock for about two years. You know what? I already sense this animosity between people who don't want to be associated with the riffraff who live north of Highway 10. Yes. I see that division. There are divisions there. Sorry, Herchaks. But there are divisions there. And you know what? I think even in our homes, we have divisions. You know what? Maybe you are currently or have experienced divorce. And there's nothing more clear to me that can split a family in two than divorce. 
There's a division right there. Maybe some of you have a child who's rebellious and he's doing whatever he wants or he or she is doing whatever they want and it's tearing your family apart. You feel and sense the divisions there. You know what? Maybe you have an uncle who's a, Canuck, who's a Calgary Flames fan and another uncle who's a Canucks fan. You know the divisions that can bring. But you know what? Maybe there's even divisions in our church. What about here in church, the body of Christ? The church has seen divisions among it. It really has. Whether I've seen divisions, whether there's drums on the kit here or not, I've seen divisions among that. I've seen divisions among whether we should have an electric guitar playing up here or maybe we shouldn't at all. I've seen divisions among that. You know what? Maybe we're even concerned sometimes about what people wear to church. I've seen divisions among that. Maybe even the type of Bible translations that we choose. I've seen division among that. Or even how someone might parent a child. I've seen division among that. You know what? There's even bigger topics. There's even topics such as homosexuality. There's topics of evolution, divorce, women in ministry. These are all some examples of what brought division to the church, to the body of Christ. It's brought divisions. And you know what? These might be a list of things or a list of examples of divisions that have plagued our church today. But you know what? We've been working through a series in Galatians. And we're going to look and see that the church in Galatia was not void of divisions themselves. So I want us all to turn to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to start there. We're going to take a look and see what type of divisions were facing the ancient church. You know what? We've been working through this series for quite a few weeks now. And maybe some of you have a good understanding of where we are and what's going on in the book of Galatians. But you know what? For those who have maybe forgotten, maybe like myself, or maybe this is your first morning here with us today, I'm going to give us just a little bit of an overview of kind of what's going on here in the book of Galatians. First of all, uh, the book of Galatians is a letter. It's a letter. It was written not just to one specific church, but to many churches in Galatia. So Paul, it was written by a dude named Paul. And you know what? It was written around 50 AD. So you know, it wasn't that long after Jesus had come. He had lived his life. He had died and resurrected. It's only about 20, 25, 27 years after that. So not very long. And you know what? Paul wrote this to the church in Galatia. And these Galatians, they are fresh. They are new believers They are church pioneers. They are on the cusp of Jesus Christ's church. And you know what? Paul has spoken to the leaders of this church before. He came to them and he he shared his own personal testimony, which is pretty wild. Paul was a dude who was going around. He was killing Christians, taking them captive. He wanted nothing to do with the church. He was trying to destroy it. And you know what? Jesus met him in a very powerful way. He struck him blind. You can read the story for yourself. And you know what? He brought him to himself and Paul is going around and he is one of the most, he was one of the biggest pushes for the church of Jesus Christ. It's amazing. And he went and he shared that testimony with these leaders and he shared with them what Jesus had done for them. And you know what? It explains here or Paul explained that these leaders, when they first heard this in Galatia, they were so pumped. 
They were so excited. They were beyond pumped that Paul even gives this like really gory illustration of how excited they were about this good news. And you know what? Paul said that you guys were so excited that you would have gouged out your own eyes and given them to me. I don't know if you've ever been that excited to pop out your own eyes, but I've never been that excited. (laughs) But the Galatians, they were pumped. They heard this good news about Jesus Christ and what Paul was doing. But this is crazy. And you know what? Despite the goriness slash kind of zombie nature of this illustration that Paul was giving us, he is trying to portray just how committed and how passionate the church in Galatia was when they heard the good news of Jesus. They were pumped. They were so excited. And you might be saying, yes, Oren, but but that seems all good and everything. But when I look at the book of Galatians, I don't really see a group of people very excited or a group of people gouging out their eyes. You would be correct. And you know what? There's passion and joy which flowed out of these believers, which made them so excited, has been, was a thing of the past. What was once a heart-filled, all-or-nothing spirit from these from these leaders in Galatia is now, is now squelched with doubt and confusion. And you know what? Causing divisions among the church. That's what's going on. And the catalyst that's driving this wedge of division between the church is on the topic of circumcision. If you don't know what circumcision is, I'm going to spare you of me explaining what it is. You can go ask your mom and your dad what circumcision is. I will not explain that for you right now. (laughs) Anyways, there were certain Jews in the church. Jews were religious people who followed the law of Moses. And you know what? They were coming into the church and they were saying like, you know what, Gentiles, the Gentiles who were people who were pagans, they didn't believe in God before they were part of these religious uh, people. And you know what? They were saying, you know, in order to be a real Christian, Gentiles, you have to be circumcised. You have to be circumcised in order to know that you are saved. You know what? These Gentiles were confused. They're like, that's not what Paul was saying. You know what? We don't need to be circumcised. We need to be uncircumcised. You know what? They were confused. And it was driving this wedge of division between the church and Galatia. But the current reality for the church in Galatia was that Jesus had come. He had died and he had resurrected fulfilling the law. That was the reality. He fulfilled the law, which meant that circumcision was no longer required. That was final. So I want us to take a closer look at Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse 6. You know what? I want all of us to look so closely at this verse because I believe that Paul is about to tell us the very verse, the very sentence that sums up the entire message that he is trying to tell these Galatians and the church of that day. This is the very verse right here. It explains the entire main point of the book of Galatians. So you know what? We better listen up. You know what? Paul says this, starting at verse 6. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus... When we place our faith in Christ Jesus, he begins by explaining how someone becomes a Christian. That's what Paul's saying, how someone becomes a Christian. You may have noticed that there, he didn't start by saying there's, or you may have noticed that there's only one requirement for someone to be a Christian. And Paul lays it out right here. It's F-A-I-T-H, faith. 
I don't see Paul saying that when you place your circumcision or when you place your perfect church attendance or when you place your perfect small group attendance or when you place your massive money donations or when you place your perfect marriages, he does not start by saying that. You can fill in the blank with with whatever you want. Paul here is reiterating what it was that brought the Galatians into relationship with Jesus in the first place. It was their faith in him. They were not saved because of their own accomplishments. It was only because of the tremendous grace of God and what he had given to them. Jesus is the one who set them free. You know what? Paul continues explaining this. There is no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. He lays it down right here. Paul lays it down by letting the Galatians know that there's absolutely no benefit to both spectrums of the argument. You're both saying one thing, you're saying the other. You know what? You're both wrong. He's saying that. You know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of another time when I was a kid and my mother, or no, and me and my sister would sometimes get in a fight. I don't know if you guys ever had arguments or fights with your siblings. I'm sure you all did. But you know what? Sometimes my sister, she would resort to hitting me. And as soon as she hit me, I was quick to be off to my mom and to tell on her what she had done to me. And you know what hurt even more than that punch that my little sister gave me? Was my mom's reaction when I got to her. And you know what her response to me was? She'd say, Oren, what did you do to make her hit you? (laughs) And I'd be like, come on, mom. I don't care. Don't bring me into this. Get her in trouble. Ground her for like three months. I don't care. Don't bring me into this. It was all her fault. But you know what? 99% of the time, she was right. We were both equally wrong. And you know what? She, and I, I'm sure that I egged my sister on to the point that I wanted her to hit me. Probably something crazy like that. But you know what? I feel like Paul right now He's giving the Galatians an or and mama call out. He's saying, you know what? He's letting them know that neither of you are correct. You're not right and you're not right. You're both wrong. You're both equally incorrect. There is no benefit to circumcision and there is no benefit to being uncircumcised. You may be wondering right now, I know that circumcision is not a regular point of argument for the church today. But at the depth of what Paul is explaining, at the very depth, he's explaining that there is absolutely no benefit to religious duties and paganism and immorality. They both have no value when it comes to having a relationship with God. That's what he's saying. There's no benefit. When one puts their faith in Jesus Christ, it does not matter whether they are rich or they are poor. It does not matter whether they are young or they are old. It does not matter whether they are black or they are white, whether they are a new Christian or a lifelong Christian, whether they are a church attender or a non-church attender, whether they are same-sex attracted or they are straight, whether they are divorced, married, or single, whether they have a PhD or never been educated before whether they're a church who's blasting rock and roll music or a church who is just playing a pump organ, whether you're a Canucks fan or a Calgary Flames fan, 
whether you're a skateboarder or a BMXer. You know what the reality is? Is that Jesus has come. Oh! To destroy divisions among his church. Because the reality is, is that all of us stand equally lost and equally able to be saved. That's the truth. That's what Paul is trying to tell us here. We all stand right there. Jesus shouldn't, Jesus' church shouldn't be labeled as a people who are always disagreeing and dividing, but instead a people who can equally agree, despite their differences, that they are in need of an all-loving and gracious Savior. You know what? Paul finishes his sentence right here by telling the church what they should be concerned about. This is what you should be concerned about. He says, what is important is faith expressing itself in love. What is important is that when we see and understand that Christ has died for each and every one of us, and valued, not, and valued us not because of what we could do for him, but he valued us just for us. The truth is, is that we are no prophet to him, and we have been loved by him for our own sakes. For our own sakes. And that is grasping what I think is truly gospel faith a confidence and a trust in a savior. It should move us then to respond in kind and in love. That reality should move us to that. In an understanding that we should serve God for not what he can bring to us, but we should serve God but we, for who he is and what he has done for both you and for me. We can finally love God just for who he is. Also, now we can serve others not for what they can bring to us, but just for who they are in themselves. For just who they are in themselves. And may this realization, you guys, of our need for God's tremendous grace and love, may that realization of that motivate us to selflessly care for one another to selflessly care for, not to be quick to disagree and to divide, but to look out, first of all, for the well-being of others. Because you know what? It's obvious, you guys, in our culture today and in our world, there, there is this issue of looking out for the well-being of one another. It seems as though our, they have no problem creating divisions, Everywhere you turn, you can see issues of division. It does not take far. You don't have to look far to see that. Around every corner there is. And you know what? This is why it's so important that us as the body of Christ, as the church, get it together. That we get it together. The church shouldn't be perceived as a group of people who are constantly disagreeing and dividing. Reality is, is that people around us don't need help being shown how to disagree and how to divide. They're all pretty good at that already. The people around us need to see the hope and the confidence that we have in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Which therefore motivates us to set aside our differences and instead react to love towards one another. You know what, you guys? 
Jesus' church is the hope of the world. We are his hands and feet to bring about his work and his kingdom here on this world. That is the reality. We are the hope of his world, of this, we are the hope of the world. And God has chosen his church, he's chosen each and every one of you here to bring about his, to bring about his work in this world crippled with divisions. Whoa. Take that, BMXers. Anyway. <laughs> the reality is, is that the world is crippled with division, and we as the church need to be examples of the opposite of that. We need to show that we are all lost and that we are all in need to be saved. So I want to encourage all of us this week. I want all of us to check out this one video. That's it. One video. It's titled The Animated Explanation of the Messiah. And it's done by the Bible Project. It is found on YouTube or their website, thebibleproject.com. The Bible Project, you guys, is amazing. It's an animated series, and they are burdened to explain with us the seamless narrative of the entirety of Scripture. It's amazingly done. It's fantastically well done. And you know what? I want you guys to just go check out this one video. If you feel led to watch all of them, I do not blame you. But I just want you to check out this one video, which gives us a quick overview of the gospel. It gives us what the Messiah, who is Jesus, has come to accomplish. It gives us that explanation. And if you happen to not have a computer, first off, time to get with the 21st century, guys. But anyway, if you happen to not have a computer, go to somebody's house who has a computer. Ask somebody else. I don't care if you don't have anyone else that has a computer. By all means, come to the church. I will be here. Somebody will be here. I will gladly sit down with you and watch this video with you. I will watch it with you. And my reason for saying this is because I believe that none of us in this room have any excuse not to watch this video. We have no excuse not to watch it. The video is only about five minutes long, and it is absolutely awesome. Watch it. You can watch it with the entire family. You can watch it uh, while you're on your coffee break. You can watch it while you're sitting on the can. You can watch it while you are on your commute to work, whatever it may be. Only if you're in the bus, not while you're driving. Don't get any wrong ideas. But we should all check it out. And you know what the reason why I think we should watch this video is because it reminds us of God's amazing redemptive work and his plan through Jesus Christ. It reminds us all of the gospel, of what Jesus has come and he has accomplished. That's why we should watch this video. Not because it looks cool, but because it reminds us of an amazing truth and reality. Because, you know what, I think at the root of our divisions and our animosity that build up in our lives and in our church, they are there because I think we forget the tremendous work that Jesus has done for each and every one of us. I think we forget that. So I want all of us to remind ourselves this week of the good news of Jesus by watching this one video. You can start there. If this motivates you to read what the Gospel of John or read your entire Bible, I don't care. I want you to start with this one video. Check it out because I feel like it does an amazing job of explaining to us the good news of Jesus. I want all of us to check it out. I want us all to be 
But most of all, I want all of us to be a people who are motivated to come together despite differences. We need to be a people that pours out love to one another. Because you know what? We are so burdened with the reality that we are all absolutely lost. We're all equally lost and we are all equally able to be saved. May that burden our hearts. And you know what? I believe if we could, da- if we could daily grasp the, mag- the magnificence and the amazing work and act that Jesus did for us all, we could even eliminate divisions among the church. Imagine if we could accomplish this, you guys. We wouldn't see scenarios like this. So these are some scenarios that, that I feel like I've, or these are scenarios that I have seen go on in the church. And I feel like we wouldn't even see these. There's examples here, like a teenage mother who's lost and hurting. You know what? She's pregnant. She's lost and hurting. And she's looking for someone who will just walk alongside her in this terrifying moment. And you know what? She comes and she, her, her irresponsible baby hump is far too embarrassing to have in the church. Or you know what, the gay estranged son who comes home in hopes of being welcomed back and he's faced with a father who couldn't bear what the church would think of him. Or you know what, the poor gentleman who walks in into the church wanting to reignite his faith with Jesus and he is faced with an usher who asks him to step outside because you know what, sir, your appearance is far too repulsive for us. Which, by the way, these are stories that I've heard of before. But what if these scenarios ended in responses of love instead of division? What if the teenage mother is connected with a mentor who knows exactly how she feels and she walks alongside her? Or the father sets aside his own pride and he welcomes the son home with open arms. Or you know what? The poor gentleman at the door is met with an invitation to go out for lunch after the service. Or you know what? Maybe the BMXers offer the skateboarders access to the entire skateboard park. Whatever the scenario might be, whatever it might be, what if God's end goal was not to keep them separated, But his end goal was to bring them together. You know what? To bring them together, he bring together the circumcised and the uncircumcised, to bring together the rich and the poor, to bring together the divorced and the married, to bring together the homosexual and the heterosexual, to bring together even the BMXers and the skateboarders. What if that was God's goal? And if they would all recognize that Jesus has destroyed divisions among his church, And the reality is, is that all of us, every single one of us, stand equally lost and equally able to be saved. Lord, I thank you so much for this morning. Lord, I thank you for each one here. And Lord, I thank you for the tremendous, amazing work that you have done for each and every one of us. Lord, I pray even for myself and for each one here that that would just weigh upon our hearts so heavy Lord, our understanding and recognition of what you've done for us. Lord, that that would motivate us, Lord, not to divide, but Lord, to love one another. 
Lord, I thank you so much for all that you do. And I ask that you would help us to work on this. Lord, you'd help us to love one another, to really care for one another, to set aside our own selfish desires and Lord, just to care for one another. Lord, I pray that you would help each and every one of us with that. And Lord, I just thank you that we have the opportunity to come to your table this morning, Lord, to partake in the bread and the cup, Lord. And in that, may we recognize and come before you, Lord, in a way that we recognize so deeply what you've done for us. And we thank you for that. Lord, I ask you to be with each one here this week. Continue to work in their hearts and in their lives and in mine as well. I pray this in your name. Amen. And now I'm like a child at night who never has to think of why we're free to love and live and die. And there's no need to justify the sinner that's inside of me has lost all his control of me. Singing by threads of dust and bone